Maigavan and welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek and in this video I will be giving you a book review of The Fall of Numenor edited by Brian Sibley and illustrated by Alan Lee. Now the interesting thing about this book is it's kind of like a lot of the books that have come out in you know the most recent years of Tolkien's writings in the sense that it is a collection of things already published or at least kind of already known about. The nature of Middle-earth was kind of a different example because it was really mostly new stuff. Not entirely, but almost all of it was very new. But the fall of, I mean, the fall of Gondolin, Turin Turumbar, you know, the Children of Hurin rather, and the Baron and Luthien book that Christopher Tolkien published in the later years of his life, all of that was based on stuff that had already been published. And while this is similar to that in a way, it's very different in that it is really just a collection of all the Second Age material, which is kind of settled. So it doesn't contain like the story of Galadriel and Celeborn because that's really unsettled. Um, and it's most of the stuff in it is focused on stuff related to Numenor and its fall, because that's kind of the big story of the Second Age. And, of course, that does touch on a lot of the stuff that happens in Eriador with Sauron trying to fool the elves and the forging of the rings and all that kind of stuff, because that does play into the Numenor story, of course. But it's very largely focused on Numenor, which is why it's called the Fall of Numenor. But it basically compiles all these different writings from different sources and puts them all in chronological order. And that's one of the weird things about the book, because it'll take the story of Aldarion and Erendis, for example, and it will break it up into pieces based on the chronological place it needs to be in the book. So there are things that happen in between different parts of the Aldarion and Erendis story which will interrupt that narrative. And it's not just even narrative stuff like Aldarion and Arendis. There's also just entries from the Tale of Years from the Lord of the Rings appendices. It's it's just really kind of weird it, it, the way it's done. And so one of my biggest, I guess, complaints about this book is that I feel like it's neither a narrative, nor a reference book, nor is it really even just a coherent, simplified vision of the Second Age, because the Aldarian and Arendis story is left pretty much intact as a fully developed narrative, just as it is found in the Unfinished Tales volume. Whereas you'll get interruptions of that narrative by you know, just entries from, say, the Tale of Years or other pieces of things that have been published up to this point that talk about events that happened in the Second Age that interrupt parts of that story. And that's not even the only thing that's kind of a narrative. There is also an appendix that is, you know, deals with the Third Age, kind of just a brief summary of the Third Age, and that also is a little weird to me because the whole point of this book is that it's the fall of Numenor. Why did we need a third age appendix? 
and why are we going to... I don't know. This this book feels like a volume in search of a reason to exist. I could understand it if it was, in some sense, an attempt to congeal all these different sources into something like one single coherent narrative, pare down some of the detail from Aldarian and Arendis, fluff up a little bit the material from the Tale of Years that has, you know, very little real information with a little extra information that you can find from other places, which that's in some ways what he does, because Sibley will have interspersed with Tolkien's writings his own notes, which will contain little bits of information from other sources that fit in with the whatever part of the story he's talking about at that time. So you may get a simple entry for a king or queen, and then Sibley will have a little editorial note of his own saying, here's you know, some other information that Tolkien wrote about in this other place or that Christopher Tolkien notes in his commentary somewhere. And that's another thing that I find a little bizarre about this book, which is Sibley's notes. There's a lot more of them than I think is really necessary. And I'm not trying to down on Brian Sibley. Brian Sibley is a great guy in the Tolkien space, and he's done a lot of great stuff for Tolkien. I just feel like this particular volume is not necessarily his greatest contribution. That said, it's a beautiful book. I mean, it is illustrated by Alan Lee. It has, the other nice thing about it, it comes with, it has its own, I'm not pulling it out because I have my space saved, it's got its own ribbon uh, bookmark. It's got a very, you know, nice map of Middle Earth from the Third Age in it. It's got an even nicer map of Middle-earth on the back cover. I mean, it's it's a very beautiful book, and Alan Lee's illustrations are, of course, gorgeous. He's got, you know, just kind of pencil sketches at various points and headings, but there's also full-page, you know, paintings and such, like this one, which is Elendil trying to fight a bunch of orcs in the Battle of the, La in the War of the Last Alliance. It is a gorgeous book, and this is... This is just a standard hardback edition. This is not the deluxe edition or anything like that. It's it's beautiful even as is. So it's a really nice thing to have on the shelf in terms of, man, it just looks nice. I just really can't say that I recommend it as a piece of Tolkien literature to anybody who's already very familiar with the Second Age and all the materials that touch on that. Uh... There is also, by the way, a an, a second appendix which deals with the Numenorean chapters from the Lost Road story that Tolkien never finished. If you're not familiar with what that is, I will link to a video I did on a Lost Road story and put it in the description so that you can get a feel for what that is. But it's basically a time travel story in which Tolkien's two protagonists who live in modern England somehow end up in Numenor near the very end before its fall and he never completed that and he never even got very far into the Numenorean part of it so you know unfortunately we don't know exactly what he was doing there but it does touch on a lot of the development of the Numenorean narrative and that's why it's included as an appendix 
which to me makes more sense than the third age appendix because it at least is valuable as a a kind of look into what Numenorean culture is really the wrong word, but the you know just the general zeitgeist, I guess, of the Numenorean people would have been from the perspective of the faithful, at least, at the time. Because the narrative in and of itself does not really get into that as much. Whereas the story of the Lost Road, when you start reading the Numenorean chapters, a lot of what was written in those chapters is focused on this conversation between Elendil and his son Herendil, who later, you know, his name will end up changing to Isildur. And their concerns, their fears, the things that are going on in Numenor at the time when Sauron is ascendant. And it's just really a much closer look at what is going on instead of just a broad kind of abstracted narrative of events. So that I find useful. The Third Age Appendix I find to be just... It's so tacked on. Why is it there? But... The only purpose I could understand that this book is serving, really, is to take all of the narrative that is written about the Second Age, which is, you know, kind of central to the main overarching arc of history, and which is relatively settled, like I said, excluding, like, Galadriel and Celeborn and stuff that's really not settled. Because there, there's even stuff in here about the founding of Eregion, and some of the stuff about Khazad-dûm. Not very much stuff about Khazad-dûm, but there is a little bit of it. And that's, at best, tangentially related because of the, you know, the fact that there was a, a lot of back and forth between Khazad-dûm and Eregion, and therefore, you know, when the War of the Rings gets started, you know, in, in the middle of the Second Age that becomes kind of relevant because Khazad-dûm is part of that. They close their gates and nobody gets in or out. Sauron can't do anything about it. But it's it's not relevant to the fall of Numenor, really. It's not really even relevant to the forging of the Rings of Power. It's, it's just barely connected. So the title of the book is mostly accurate, but it's also... It's not extremely precise, because there's stuff in here that's just like, how is that really relevant to the fall of Numenor? So it, it, the title is slightly... Deceptive is a little bit too much, but it, it's slightly misleading. Nevertheless, even if you were to rename it something like, you know, the Second Age, and just say, here's all the Second Age stuff that's, you know, relatively settled, published, you know, whatever, it's still not a very good book for that purpose. When Tolkien, Christopher Tolkien published his three volumes of The Children of Hurin, Baron and Luthien, and The Fall of Gondolin, each one had a very specific purpose going in, right? You had the Baron and Luthien story was a look at the development of that narrative from the earliest versions to the latest versions. The Children of Hurin story was a you know, a narrative formed from the different sources all put together to make one, basically a novel out of it, which, you know, works better in some parts than in others because 
Tolkien never finished his most developed form of it, but it still works as a complete narrative, at least. And then The Fall of Gondolin was very much like the Baron and Luthien volume. It was looking at the development of that story. And there were, you know, it, it's not necessarily fun to read in one sense the Baron and Luthien and the Fall of Gondolin because that's really just taking what was in the History of Middle-Earth series, taking one story and condensing all of that into one. It has its uses for an academic purpose, but it's not like it's just an engaging read. Children of Hurin, not very useful for academic purposes, but an engaging read. This is neither... And, like, the main reason I could imagine why you would want to do a book like this is to have a handy reference for, okay, if you want just like a, a timeline kind of of the Second Age and the major events that really play into the overall arc, here it is. But that doesn't really work when you have the Aldarian and Arendis story taking up a huge chunk of this volume because it's so narratively developed and not pared down at all. And so you have large sections of the book where you can't really... I mean, if you just paid attention to, say, the chapter headings, you could kind of get a sense of that. But I didn't pay for a book this size to get chapter headings. I paid for a book this size to read stuff. And the stuff I'm reading is stuff that I already have in literally every other book. That's also true of the Baird and Luthien volume, but at least in that case, I don't have to pull out multiple volumes of the history of Middle-earth to find the things that I'm looking for. With this, it's basically all in the nature of Middle-earth, because there's a little bit of Numenorean stuff there. A lot of that comes very early in its descriptions of the island of Numenor. The Unfinished Tales, which has the Aldarian and Arenda story and some other descriptions of Numenor. The Tale of Years, and that's the vast bulk of the book. And you know, they each have very different purposes. Like, the nature of Middle-earth stuff is really just Tolkien kind of doodling in his imagination about what's on Numenor, the kinds of plant life, the animal life, that kind of thing. All of that being in the nature of Middle-earth is fine. I don't need to look that up for anything else. It's not really relevant to much of any of the other story. The actual events of, you know, what goes down in the Second Age... I can find that either in the Akalabaith, that's another major source, I should have mentioned that, or if I want something really specific, the Aldarian and Arinda story. But those are two very different pieces, and they each serve very different roles, and I can find whichever one I want very easily. I can't think of a time when I'm going to want to read, you know, all the Tale of Years, plus the Aldarian and Arinda story, plus the Akalabaith, plus a description of the island of Numenor, and the stuff in the nature of Middle-earth that pertains to that. I just, I can't imagine ever really needing this. So does this book need to exist? I don't think it does. That's not to say that it's not a nice book. Like I said, it's a beautiful volume. I, I just, if you're thinking about buying it because you think it's going to add value to your Tolkien collection beyond being a wallflower... I don't think it is. Unless you're missing some of these volumes and you don't really want to pick up, you know, say, The Nature of Middle-Earth 
or you know the unfinished tales or why you wouldn't want to pick up the unfinished tales i don't know but for sake of argument let's say you were missing one of those key volumes right i mean if you have if you're even thinking about this you have the lord of the rings so you have the tale of years so that's you know let's leave that out probably you're also going to, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, you're going to have the unfinished tales. So what does that leave? The Silmarillion, which has the Akalabaith, which you probably have that before you have the unfinished tales. And the Nature of Middle-Earth, which, okay, maybe you don't want to buy the Nature of Middle-Earth. Do you really want to buy this just to get the descriptions of Numenor from the Nature of Middle-Earth? rather than getting all the cool stuff that's in the nature of Middle-earth? Eh? Not really. I mean, I think the biggest thing here is the fact that it keeps jumping between really scant information about kings and very brief descriptions of events to huge developed narrative back to very sparse information, big narrative, sparse information, you can't just read through the book without it feeling disjointed, but you also can't just use it as a reference material because the developed narratives are so developed that it's you can't find just bits and pieces. Again, the best way to use it as a reference book is just to look at the chapter titles. But that's a lot of money to spend on a chapter title reference. You know what I mean? So... This is the first book that I have bought from a major name in Tolkien. Well, technically I didn't get it. My wife got it for me for Christmas at my request. It's not her fault. <laughs> and I'm glad I have it in the sense that it would feel kind of weird not having this in my collection being who I am. But the point being, if I knew exactly what was in this book and how it was presented and I had to spend my own money on it, I would end up probably... I might do it just because I would want to have it in my collection, but I wouldn't do it because I thought I felt I needed it in any shape or form. Like, the Baron and Luthien story is also not particularly something that I'm going to go back and read over and over again, but it is fascinating to read through that volume just so you can get an idea of how Tolkien's mind works and how he develops his narratives over time. We don't get that in this book. We don't get a consistent developed narrative in this book. We don't get just a good, solid, here's the second age in kind of snapshot form in this book. What we get from this book is literally just a mumble-jumble of stuff that's already been published elsewhere in different places for different reasons, just put in chronological order in one volume. And I just don't see the value in that. I, you know... Like I said, I've got nothing against Brian Sibley. I just I just don't see why this was a particularly necessary volume to produce. And eh, I, I hate to say that it seems like it's just a cash grab attempt to milk more money out of the Tolkien name. But it kind of feels that way. I'm not saying that's what Sibley is doing. Sibley is, you know, he's been doing great stuff with the name of Tolkien on his own, and it doesn't mean that he's, you know, just trying to get more out of it for the sake of whatever, but it just seems so unnecessary. There are so many better things that could have been done with this volume. I think it would have, 
made more sense to go a different route rather than just trying to interrupt narratives with random information that's not terribly pertinent and interrupt some of that with his own editorial comments, which then link to Christopher Tolkien's editorial comments. It's just, it's such a weird book to read. So, I just, I can't recommend the book to anybody, really, that would be interested in having it. If you're interested in having this, you almost certainly have all the stuff that you would all that you would find in this volume somewhere else except for Alan Lee's <laughs> illustrations. So if you just really want it for that, go for it. Uh, but I can't recommend it to anybody on the grounds that you're going to get something valuable out of this book. It's just the value is not there in my opinion. So that's my take on the fall of Numenor. Uh, you know, take it for what you will. A lot of people probably have a very different opinion on this. Uh, but that's that's my take because of the way I read books and the way that I use them. That just that's where I fall on this. So you know, maybe find somebody who thinks it is a very good value proposition and get their take on it. But you know, at least if you found this review useful, please do give a thumbs up, share around for anybody else looking at possibly getting the book. If you want to catch my future content, subscribe, click the bell icon on YouTube if you're over there. If you're interested in my other platforms, you can find links to them in the description below, as well as social links, such as Twitter, where I drop Tolkien-related trivia questions every week, and you can find support links as well. Until the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namadie. No